<laughs> Another flawless fade out. Hello, welcome to Vertigo Voices. I'm Colby. And I'm Sophia. I just realized that we haven't been introducing ourselves for like the last however many episodes. We just think that you guys, you know, know us like friends now, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, so we're back for another episode, uh, an- another in our long mini-series. Is this even a mini-series if it's half the show? No, we've only done a couple. Anyway, <laughs> another in our mini-series uh, pilot season. Today we're going to be looking at Human Target version two, the second Human Target TV series, not the first. So beforehand, phone check. We're good. All right. Both good at that. Um, I I had, so I've been fucking putting this off forever because I keep forgetting about it. When we were on the episode hiatus, I went home to my parents' house for Thanksgiving. And our very first episode, when we talked about what brought us to Vertigo, I mentioned this like DC promotional book that I had that had a thing about Sandman Midnight Theater in it. Anyway, I went back to my parents' house. I was digging through my old shit, and I found it. Uh It's called Direct Currents, and it was this, like, little magazine that would come out showing what new DC comics are coming out that month or year or whatever. This was July. And this issue, let's see. Well, it it says on sale in July, but it says September 95 at the top. This is from 1995. It's got a cover of Wesley Dodds and Morpheus, and it's got things about uh, Vertigo Visions, Prez, One Shot, Enigma, now in trade paperback, (laughs) Sandman The Wake, the last volume of Sandman is finally out, and there's like uh, Invisibles number 12, just like really cool shots of all the covers. Uh, There's a little thing about the, uh, there's a poster for Sandman The Wake you can get. It shows all the new stuff coming out. Animal Man number 87, Tank Girl The Odyssey number 4, Awesome. This is probably around the time that you discovered Tank Girl. Probably. <laughs> Preacher number six. Bold new comic book series. Who knows where that's going to go? <laughs> is it even a success at this point? We don't know. <laughs> what happened? That's uh, fun. And the art is so beautiful. Yeah. yeah and I like this cover in here of like Wesley Dodds. I didn't know what was going on in this picture. It's him. He's, he's like pr- pulled a, a burnt piece of paper or something out of a fireplace in the comic, now that I've read it. <laughs> but in that image, it's like him waving his arms around. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Is it a flare? Like, it looks just so creepy. And then this issue also on the DC side, so it's like a flip book. On one side, it's got uh, Vertigo, and on the other side, it's got regular DC. This is all about, ooh, Batman, Judge Dredd, Nightwing, new series, Lobo, uh, and the cover's Wonder Woman, a new redesigned costume. Oh, Mad Love, holy shit. That was Harley Quinn's animated origin. There you go. But it's at the back, it's got... Oh, fuck, The Golden Age. God damn, that was a good series. Huh. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, at the back, it's got Starman number 11, I think it was. No, hold on. Starman issue 11, which is a flashback issue. This cover fucking scarred me as a kid. <laughs> I can see why. So it's, it's a flashback story uh, told from the point of view of the Shade, and it's all about the Justice Society fighting Ragman. And the bottom, it's Ragman with his arms up, looking like a fucking opera singer, and his arms are just dripping with blood, and it looks so creepy. But that issue is actually one of my favorites of the series, now that I've read it as a normal person and not a dumb kid. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. But anyway, it's just funny because there's so much of what is important to me today in this single comic book that I just happened to find at my parents' house. I wasn't really looking for it. I just was digging through old shit and like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good to be reunited. Yeah. And it's in pretty good shape considering that I just like carried this around with me as a kid. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> great. Yeah, I don't think I have any comic books from when I was a kid because I destroyed them all. Yeah. I've, I just read a few, but I still have some. So, anyway. Um, all right. So, uh, back to the regularly scheduled programming. We're going to be watching the pilot episode of the second Human Target series, starring Mark Valley. It's a pretty good cast, Christopher Chance. I don't know anything about the making of this show. Developed by Jonathan Steinberg. He's the um, producer? Executive producer. Yeah, it says developed by, I don't know, Jonathan Steinberg. Um, apparently is a huge fan of the comic book. Yeah. That's all I know about him. The show is, is like a really weird hybrid of the comic and just generic action. <laughs> Could you please give us a quick book report about the human target before we launch in? A little bit, but I'd rather, I'd rather actually like do a comic book episode about it. But yeah, so the human target, Christopher Chance is a guy who is kind of like a mercenary. So if you've got a price on your head or somebody's out to get you or something... He, you can hire him. He will take your place, pretend to be you, and like draw the heat off of you, while he like solves the mystery and gets the bad guy. Basically, the show. He's just a bodyguard. <laughs> That's literally all he is. He just he sticks with you and and uh, tries to fight the bad guy. And I don't know, whatever. It's it's fine. It's just a weird. It's a weird way to take the story. I understand why they do. But it's just weird because everything that makes him different than any other character is taken away. (laughs) Right, right. It's kind of, when you look at the uh, original, like you said, it's kind of hard to adapt into a a show or a movie. And we'll go into it when we watch it more. But it's just, yeah, it's just a, it's an odd, it's an odd choice for adaptation. And especially it's odd to me because this character has been adapted three times now. So it's odd that he keeps being adapted when he's so hard to adapt. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, he has a strong following in Hollywood, apparently. I guess. And it's also not a character that's that popular in comics. I mean, the original Human Target didn't even get his own series. He was just a backup in, in a different, like, adventure comics or some shit. But I, I had no idea who he was until you told me. Yeah, so he's a backup in action comics, and then The Brave and the Bold. He didn't get his own series. Okay, let's see. Detective Comics... Gangbusters, Action Comics, Brave and the Bold, Detective Comics, a couple issues of Batman, <laughs> uh, Detective Comics, Brave and the Bold, Best of Blue Ribbon Digest. All right. Um, when the show, when the first series came out, there was called a, there was a DC special, Human Target, and then it wasn't until 99 when Vertigo did their miniseries that he actually got a Human Target comic. Right. Uh, anyway, so it's a really weird character with like a long backstory, but not that popular. And yet he got a TV show in the 90s, a TV show in the 2000s, and then he was on a few episodes of Arrow. Go figure. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right, let's get started. So uh, watch the pilot episode. got the DVD of the first season, which that's another thing. The show ran for two seasons, but only the first season is available to buy. The second season, I think you can, you can watch on Amazon Prime. Like, you have to pay for it, though. Oh, okay. Um, and it used to be on the DC streaming app. And then it was on, when, when that vanished into thin air, it was on HBO Max for a little bit, but it's not on there anymore. 
So the yeah, you, for me, I've never seen the second season. I've only seen the first. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's too bad. So I'd like to see the second season. Yeah. All right, so here we go. We're gonna watch the pilot. I'm gonna hit play in three, two, one, play. Here we go. No animated menus. <laughs> oh, I didn't even have a warning. I just threw right, jumped right into it. <laughs> Look at that. Wasting no time. Yeah, that's a cool logo. The human target there. The way they do that. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the, the where's this show set? Do they say that? I can't remember. I think this, well, I was watching uh, the commentary and originally in this pilot, this was supposed to open in San Francisco mm-hmm. but because they filmed it in Vancouver. There was snow everywhere. Oh. <laughs> so they changed it to Seattle. Ah, interesting. <laughs> but I think he, he is based in San Francisco in okay. the show. Gotcha. So in the comic, it, starting with the Vertigo miniseries, he moves to L.A., and uh, that's kind of like, especially the, so the Vertigo series has a weird publication history. It starts as a four-issue miniseries in 1999. Then it gets a sequel in, I think, 2002. There's a graphic novel called Final Cut. And then after that, like two years later, it gets an ongoing series that ran for, I think, 21 issues. So it goes from miniseries, graphic novel, and then ongoing. And that's all one big story. Okay. But it's like weirdly spread out and weirdly... Uh, numbered, you know. Uh huh. So, and no deviation in terms of plotline and whatnot. No, because it's it's got the same writer the whole time. Oh. Different artists, but the same writer. Peter Milligan wrote the uh, the Vertigo run. The character was originally created by Len Wein and Carmine Infantino, I think. Let me double check. Uh, yeah, Len Wein and Carmine Infantino. Look at that. There you go. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, uh, in the show, he has a dog named Carmine. Oh, that's right. That? Yeah. yeah, his Rottweiler. Reference to the artist. Um, Len Wein, actually, when the show came out, they, they, brought, they made like a new series, like a six-issue miniseries that's the, the show version of the character oh. that Len Wein actually wrote. Did you read it? I read the first issue. It's like the show. I don't know. <laughs> it feels like a TV show in a comic, and that, I, don't, I never liked that. Like you're in a fucking comic book, man. Do do comic book shit. <laughs> you don't you know you're not bound by the budgets of a TV series. Right, right. It's like if I want to watch the show, I'll watch the show. The weird thing though is Mark Valley is fucking perfectly cast. Like he looks like the comic book version of the character. Oh, does he? Yeah, and it's just it's it's a, it's a weird casting for that because how how close he is, you know. That's um, kind of eerie. Yeah. And this character goes back to the fifties, seventies. There was a different character named Human Target who has nothing to do with this one. Okay. Um, but uh, Mar- uh, Christopher Chance, this Human Target, was created in the 70s. Um, so, typing right now. I guess I shouldn't be quiet. I should talk over the typing. But uh, <laughs> uh, in the comics, see if I can find a good picture of the artist on the first run. The, the first miniseries has art that I fucking love. Gorgeous um, stuff. God huh? damn it. No, of course not. Um, oh, there we go. The, the cover art, though, is, is cool. It's uh, uh, Timothy Bra- or, uh, Tim Bradstreet, who I really like. Uh, I shouldn't have done that. It's just going to take me to the... Ah, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> just going in, a, like, going in circles. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, the character... Oh, I, I like this. Uh, this is from him on Arrow, this GIF. I actually saved this GIF because I want to use it. <laughs> Stephen Amell. Ah, oh, there he is. There's Human Target. <laughs> uh, <laughs> peels his face right yeah. off. I wrote about this character a couple years ago. Like, I wrote a really detailed 
history of his adaptations on my old website. Because I, I think it's interesting because he was adapted in a, in a show in the early 90s starring Rick Springfield. And the, that show was created by Danny Bilson. Hold on. Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who they were also the creators of the Flash TV series at the same time, that John Wesley Shipp Flash series. And they're big comic book heads, so they... they and they're good with television. Like, they know how to adapt stuff. So they, they did a pretty direct adaptation. It's Rick Springfield as Christopher Chance. He pretends to be somebody, does the makeup and shit, and goes off and saves the day and then comes back. Um, but the, the show only lasted six episodes. And it, I think it was canceled before they all aired. <clears throat> um, because I think the problem with adapting this character is you... That makes the main character um, kind of passive... Yeah. You know, because he shows up at the beginning, says, hey, I'm Christopher Chance. I'm going to save the day for you. And then the heavy lifting of the rest of the of the episode is done by whoever the guest star is. There you go. And granted, the show had some excellent guest stars. Like, there's an episode with John Wesley Shipp, the guy that played The Flash, where he Im- imitates John Wesley Shipp, and he does that. And R. Lee Ermey is in an episode. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he plays him. And, um, so, it, like, it had some great guest stars, but that makes the main character less important than whoever is happens to be on it that week. Right. And so right. because of that, I don't think you can really adapt this and make him the main character. Because then you have to do this. Where if you, the main character has to have a certain amount of face time in an episode for him to be considered the hero. He can't be swapping faces with people. So then they do this, where he's just a bodyguard. Yeah. Which is why I think Arrow has nailed him the best. Because when he shows up as uh, an ally who just pops up every once in a while, then that, uh, that allows him to keep his air of mystery and he can mimic whoever he wants. But that way, when he pops his mask off, it's like, oh, it was Christopher Chance the whole time. <laughs> it's, more, it's more exciting than it is a letdown. You know, like, because instead of, instead of having him uh, pretend to be somebody else the whole episode and him be the star, then it's like a, a, it's like a cameo almost. And, oh, there, there he is, there's Christopher Chance. <laughs> Leaves you wanting more. Yeah, exactly. On Arrow, he was played by... I never pronounced this guy's name right. I think it's Will Travell. Travell? Will, Will Travell. I don't know. He, was, uh, he played Nuke on Jessica Jones. Oh, okay. But he does a really good job in the role. He's only in a couple episodes. I wish they used him more, but uh, it was fun. It, that version of the character is probably the best adaptation of him. Well, and because they use him so sparringly, right? Yeah, exactly. Although I think Mark Valley is the best cast. He does carry this show very well. Yeah. They just introduced Chai McBride and his character, uh, which is another thing that kind of irritates me about this show, is I've mentioned this before, and that I hate it when comic book shows only adapt the single, like the lead character. Mm-hmm. Hey, she's on Battlestar Galactica. What is her name? Oh, I can't remember, but yeah, yes. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's in a lot of stuff, too. Um, that's... What the fuck is her name? I don't know. Uh, she's the Cylon chick on Phallus Galactica. But anyway, uh, Ch- Chai McBride and Jackie Earl Haley are like his sidekicks in this. And they're, all, they're both new characters. Everyone in this other than Christopher Chance is a new character. And, like, that bugs me. Because he, he doesn't have a huge supporting cast, but he has a couple of reoccurring characters. There's... Uh, uh, in the original comics, he had this this restaurant owner that was like his confidant named Luigi. And then the Vertigo series, because the Vertigo series is a sequel to the original 70s series. Oh, 
So in the new Vertigo series, uh, Luigi dies and he moves to L.A. and he gets a new a new restaurant owner <laughs> that like looks over <laughs> him named Bruno, who was an old friend of uh, Luigi's. Either Bruno or Luigi could have been the Chai McBride's character. They essentially fulfilled the same role. Right. Just rename them. Yeah, and then in the Vertigo series, he has a uh, a protege named Todd Mc or Tom McFadden, who again like he could have been on the show, but uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why they decide to do that. And they do it a lot. I mean, fuck Lucifer. That that's the there's Lucifer, um, Mazakian. Uh, yeah, Mazakian and uh, Asmodel are like the only comic book characters who are main characters on the show. Right. There's like the occasional like like I mentioned last episode. Tom Welling pops up as Kane. Uh, Lauren Lapkus plays Abel. And I think Eve is in it as well in an episode or two or something. But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of characters in Lucifer that are not in the comic book. But we will get to that eventually. I hey, saying. she's on Lucifer too. Is she's that like, where I've seen her? She plays his mom. That's right. What the Christ is her name? That's right. It's going to drive me nuts. i got to look it up right now. Um, she was on Battle... I'm gonna, I have to like <laughs> like uh, reverse engineer this. Battlestar... I don't like that they do this. You don't like the beginning no, credits? No, it's fine, but they've already had the show's title card. True. I don't like it when they do a title card and then credits. Um, because I bet they're going to show a title card again, aren't they? Do they? Probably. But they do. Yeah. Be I... willing to bet anything from a diddly-eyed Joe to a damned if I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are high stakes. <laughs> but, um... Bear McCreary does a oh, yeah, that's right. good theme song for this, I, I think. That last episode. Yeah, there it is! There's, uh, yep. See? There's two open... Oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is a vertigo fuck yourself. <laughs> and we're done. No. Yeah. I, you, you, I had to cut it out, but I just tipped over my table, broke my lap, my laptop. <laughs> and stomped out of the room. Trisha Helfer. Trisha Helfer. Trisha Helfer, that's her name. Okay, yes. She has been in a lot of TV Younger than I thought she is. She's like 46. She was Lucifer's mom. Yeah. And she's now 46. She's like, what, maybe, maybe 10 years older yeah, than? Probably not that. Yeah. Much. I bet he's 40. Probably. That's just funny. I mean, obviously, they're supposed to be like immortal characters, so it doesn't really matter. It's just funny because I'm guessing that they cast her because she looks a little older than him, maybe? Well, <laughs> you know, not to uh, deviate, but to deviate, network television is still like deathly afraid to show women with wrinkles on their faces. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, she well, she's had quite a few, well, not quite a few, she's had a couple comic book roles, too. She's like Boudicca in uh, the Green Lantern animated movie. Okay. Yes, dear dear listeners, we're looking at her filmography here. It is extensive. Uh, hey, she was Black Cat in the Spectacular Spider-Man. That was a good animated series. I did not see that one. She played Sif in a super squ- Superhero Squad show. Who's this lady in Human Target? <laughs> this lady. Doesn't matter what her name is. She's not a real character. Uh, oh, she was in Tron Uprising. That was a really good animated oh, series. The Grid. Yeah. Oh, she's on Community. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll get back to the comic book stuff. Uh, oh, she's on Powers. I haven't seen season two, so I don't know who she plays. <laughs> I haven't seen season one, I confess. Powers, Lucifer, um, we already mentioned. And then she was also on Van Helsing. Oh, that's an anime. That's, oh, that's Dracula. A, that's a comic book show too. Oh, that's interesting. 
I've never seen it, but uh, it's like a sci-fi series based on a comic book show. They are a comic Fuck, it's based on a comic book. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um, they've had some good success with adapting comic books over the last couple of years. Between Lucifer, or sorry, fuck, uh, Van Helsing and uh, what's that other show? Winona Earp, that's a comic book. Um, others. <laughs> <laughs> So many. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to make a really bold proclamation and then not back it up. <laughs> well, it like uh, Charles Halford. She sounds like she has worked in a lot of comic book yeah. adaptations. My old website, I would track that kind of stuff, and I would. Hey, this is directed by Simon West. He directed one of the Expendables movies. Oh, did he? Another bold proclamation. Let's see if I'm right, because <laughs> I just <laughs> said that without really knowing. I bet you're right. He directed... Oh, The Expendables 2. Laura Croft. Expendables 2, yeah. I'm smart, I know things. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he directed Keen Eddie. That was a pretty good show. I didn't see that one. Uh, Mark Valley was on it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, what was I talking about before I got sidetracked by Simon West? We were talking about... This beautiful lady whose name I just immediately Trisha forgot. Helfer. Trisha Helfer. Trisha Helfer. Thank you. Yeah, um, there's a, I don't even know where I was going with that, but there, there's, it seems like the, oh yeah, my fucking website. Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> I'm fumbling like crazy right now. Um, I used to track like comic book adaptations of actors, and every year my friend Bear and I, who I've also mentioned many times, would do a year of... We're, or a year in review where we talk about the best and worst, and at the end of that, we would give uh, we would give an award to somebody every every year, and it was called the uh, Chris Evans Award for um, fuck the Chris Evans Award for Excellence in Comic Book Media. We, we called it the Golden Evans. The Golden Evans. Because I don't know if you can see, but behind my bobbleheads of Yondu and Daredevil over there, yeah. there's a golden christopher chris evans is. toy that's that's the award i made a golden evans <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> oh give the listeners your website uh it was called comicbookmedia.com it's still it's still there but i haven't i haven't added anything in about probably two years so you can go read my old ramblings about comic book shows but it's nothing interesting because I, it's old old news <laughs> well for those of us who were not familiar with human target you told me about them and then directed me to the website yeah. and I read your entry and that was really helpful. Hey, there's Jackie Earl Haley, another comic book movie all-star. Who, I, granted, I know his character is not in the comic book, yeah. but I love him in the show. Yeah, I think he's really good, but I think he would have been really good as Tom McFadden, uh, a character from the Milligan run of Human Target. He's a character that I really like. So one of the things, that I, again, I'd like to go into this further and actually read the issues, but um, the whole idea of Human Target, when Milligan takes over, it's, all about, it's a story about identity and characters losing their identity and desperately trying to create an identity out of nothing and finding out who they are and what makes them human, basically. <clears throat> and and none of that's in the show. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, this is this is this is going to sound negative, but it's it's not supposed to be. But this is a dumb show. It's a dumb action show. It is. It is. There's there, there's really there's no nuance to it. It's just a, it's an action movie, and that's not again that's not supposed to be bad. There's plenty of dumb things that are fun and fine, but um, 
this doesn't have the nuance or the intelligence of the comic. And granted, I have I've read very little of the original Human Target, but the uh, the Milligan Vertigo run is really fucking good. And um, we probably won't cover the whole thing, but I'd really like to go over the original miniseries soon. A, because I just reread it. <laughs> and B, because it reminded me so much of why I like that comic and why I like Vertigo. That was, that was a very early Vertigo comic that I read. I distinctly remember seeing the cover at the comic shop in Walla Walla. Um, North Star Comics. It's not around anymore, but um, I distinctly remember seeing the cover to that issue and just being like blown away by it. I gotta read that. <laughs> so good, so good. Okay, Jack Earl Haley. Aside from this, he was Rorschach. He was the Terror on The Tick. He was Odin Kim Cannon on Preacher. Look at three comic book roles in a row. <laughs> Human Target Preacher The Tick. Um, did I already say Rorschach? Yeah, he was yeah. Rorschach. He was on the original Shazam series in the 70s. Ah! <laughs> Just some dumb fucking kid. <laughs> Oh, he played Rorschach in Watchmen video game. Oh, did he? And then he was in Alita Battle Angel. That's kind of a comic book. It's based on a light novel, so... I haven't seen that yet. It's not bad. I liked it. Okay. I'll have to give it a go. <laughs> he was in the Dark Tower, but we're not going to hold yeah. that against him. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, it's that, that poor film. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Look at that. Look at that gap. 1993 to 2006. Well, he was on Little Children. Yeah, that's what revived his career. In Little Children, actually. Have you seen that movie? I have not yet, no. It's really fucking good. He plays a pedophile in it. Just a creepy-ass dude. Ooh. Um, And uh, that, yeah, playing a pedophile in, in like, a slow drama movie completely revitalized his career. And then after that, he did Watchmen, and now he's a household name. Well, and rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah, he's a fucking great actor. And, and he's one of those, like, it was like the curse of the child actors. Because he was in Bad News Bears and a lot of stuff in the 70s. And then uh, when he wasn't cute anymore, they didn't hire him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm glad he got a second wind because he's done some fucking excellent stuff since then. Not, I mean, not all of his movies have been great, like Robocop. <laughs> yeah. um, he's been in some shit movies, but he's always been good in them. Like, his character Robocop is awesome. I haven't seen the remake yet. Yeah, you don't need to. <laughs> and then he also has extensive um, extensive television yeah. and video games. What else did he do? Oh, just, just another game. Okay. Played Rorschach in the Watchmen spinoff game and then some other thing. But uh, yeah, um, I didn't know he was on Narcos. What was he in Narcos? Jim Ferguson. Jim Ferguson in Narcos. Okay. I don't know. Well, I haven't seen the second season. <laughs> the first uh-huh. season is fantastic. Um. I have to ask, this has nothing to do with Human Target, but I must know, um, does he fuck the meat mannequin in Preacher? No, he doesn't. <laughs> we, I talked about that. You did? Because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't fuck it. He actually, he makes like a meat, it's like, it's only, it's only in one shot, where Kim Cannon's story is completely different in the show. It's all about his family dying, and he realizes that the only, the only true god is the god of meat. I don't Oh, all right then. And at the end, he, like, makes a little, like, hamburger version of his daughter and is, like, hugging it while he dies. It's weird and dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's just completely, like, a lot of that show is, like, a lot of build-up and then very little payoff. Like, why would you do Odin Kim Cannon if you weren't going to have him be, like, a weird, meat-obsessed freak? 
Right, right. And he is kind of a weird, mean, obsessed freak, but in a way different way in the show. <laughs> he's like a tragic villain, I guess. A tragic figure. Yeah. Uh, and in the comics, he's just a reprehensible fucking pervert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's gross. <laughs> he's, a, he's a racist pervert <laughs> weirdo that you just can't wait till he dies. <laughs> like, every villain in that comic is just like, man, this is going to be awesome when that guy fucking dies. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Like he doesn't deserve a redemption no. arc. <laughs> Jeez, I wonder if he's gonna lose his head. That'd be cool. <laughs> like, like you know, Grandma. Like, oh man, when she gets when she explodes, that's gonna be so fucking satisfying. And it is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Garth Ennis knows how to write that. I like his, his little trick there. He he uh, put up the the mop to with the fucking or the broom with the bucket against the door, so he knows when somebody comes in. Right. It's clever. The cleverness there. Yeah. <laughs> the action scenes in this are, are pretty good. Um, they, you can tell they still have television tricks like quick cuts and fast editing, but the action is is holds up pretty well. Yeah, uh, it's because of Simon West, director of The Expendables Two. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah. Well, I I heard somewhere. Um, oh, it was probably the commentary when I watched the commentary. Them saying that. You know, where a lot of television, because the fights are so shitty, like, no offense to the boys, I love the boys, but there's a couple fight scenes in there where, like, oh, yeah, you guys only had, like, a day to put this together, yeah. didn't you? Where I guess on this, they actually had a couple weeks to put together their fight scenes. That was actually a big deal. I remember when the pilot came out, because they were, like, they, they, like, marketed it that way. Like, they had, like, I think there was, like, a special feature or something that was released online but like here's us working with our fight coordinator and i i just i remember specifically that being like a big deal when this came out that they spent so much time on the fights and uh, mark valley has he he pulls it off well he's got the physicality for it he's got a got a like he's got like a superman chin he does he does well i think wasn't he in the in the military he was like in the army Probably. for for like from 87 to 93 or something like that Probably. Um, that reminds me, actually, I, I just realized, I don't think he looks like Christopher Chance. I think he looks like Tom McFadden. Oh, um, Chance's, okay. Chance's protege. All right. Uh, human target. It's oh. not a great picture, but that's Tom McFadden. He's got the chin. Yeah. Yep. He's got a similar shade of hair. Right, right. Okay. Tom, Tom McFadden is kind of, it's the human, the, uh, what's it called? The goddamn, the Human Target miniseries is kind of Tom's story. Um, less so than Christopher Chance's. Which is all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> we might read it someday. Human Target, Volume 1. Lucifer, what the fuck? <laughs> what is that? Uh, that's, that's just a picture from Lucifer. What does that have to do with Human Target? I don't know. It's just weird. Because I, <laughs> I, I literally just clicked on this picture that says Human Target Volume 1. And then it's a picture of the Lucifer TV show. Huh. I don't know. I'm not going to read the article. No. Not now. <laughs> fuck your article with your Lucifer picture about Human Target. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you clickbait. <laughs> There's a pretty cool fight scene coming up here. Um... Where they have to sneak across the train. Maybe it's a little bit farther away than I think it is, but it's a fight in an air duct. It's in three episodes. Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I haven't watched this in like five years. I already told you that. <laughs> well, you know, 
me your memory holds on to stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if there was. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, real quick, so, talking about, you know, I mentioned that Christopher Chance is also in Arrow. Well, Mark Valley is in is in the Arrowverse also. He is on a couple episodes of The Flash as uh, Anton Slater, who is actually a DC Comics character. Because the Flash or the the Arrowverse uses DC characters <laughs> instead of the <this> show. <laughs> hey, that guy! I recognize that bald guy. Um, no. but anyway, he he plays a prosecuting attorney who uh, um, prosecutes the Flash in the comics. It's for the murder of uh, Reverse Flash, but in the show, it's a different villain. Uh, I think it's the Tinkerer. Okay. Not the Tinkerer. That's a different character. The Thinker. The Thinker. Yeah. Speaking of The Thinker, he's going to be in uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Is he? Yeah. Played by um, Peter Capaldi. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Oh, yeah. It was The Thinker. Clifford DeVoe. They ran. They really went all out with that costume. I forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> so they did, Yes. Looks like fucking Brainiac. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that season because it was a weird mix of good and bad. Things to like and not so much. Yeah, that's so that's the thinker in the comics. Oh wow, he's plugged in. Isn't and so he? they went like they went. They you know you can see the design choice or the design elements there. Like Pest is a squint test, but here's what he looks like in Suicide Squad. This should be interesting. Oh, wow. That's great. That's exactly like the comic. He had those weird things in his head. (laughs) He looks fantastic. Can't wait for that fucking movie. (laughs) Yay! That is something to look forward to. (laughs) Like suit to just uh, (laughs) hanging out on set. Like you do. Um, Yeah, so fucking Suicide Squad. (laughs) <laughs> that'll, that'll that'll be what redeems uh dc movies for me <laughs> right right we have hopes we have literally hopes. the only movie in their recent stable that i'm excited for and maybe the batman that looks good yeah we'll see i don't but like so for me suicide squad is a very personal thing because i've i loved the suicide squad comics since i discovered them as a kid mm-hmm. and i i have the like a I think 99% of the original Ostrander series, some of which are really fucking rare issues and worth a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I've had them for years, like back before they were worth anything. And um, the Justice League Unlimited episode with the Suicide Squad is one of the best anything on television ever made. Like it's such a fucking brilliant episode. Um, And so I love their, I love that adaptation. I love seeing the characters on Arrow and, uh, for right now, to have one of my favorite comic books adapted by one of my favorite directors is like heaven for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, you know he's going to do right by it. Yeah, exactly. Especially the way those characters have been treated in the last adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, which, of which, you know, we're still feeling a little bit hurt on that. Yeah, Christ. I think everybody is. <laughs> Although, I have noticed that Suicide Squad has gotten considerable heat taken off of it since Wonder Woman 1984 came out. Well, yeah, but but at the same time, no, because there's a spinoff that's currently filming. Um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Christ. Uh, John Cena has got a spinoff show. Oh. Peacemaker. Oh, that's right. It's filming right now to be released in January of 2021, or 2022. 
Okay. Hits keep on coming. Um, and Sean, or Sean Gunn, fuck, that's his brother. <laughs> James Gunn specifically said that he's not saying, oh, is this the fight you're talking about? This is the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember this. Um, James Gunn specifically said that he's not saying if Peacemaker is a prequel or a sequel to the Suicide Squad movie because he doesn't want to give away who's going to live and who's going to die and who's going to be in it and who's not. Because it's going to feature a couple of Suicide Squad characters. So many, many secrets. Yeah. Because that was when I was talking to my friend about it, uh, Bear. I mentioned like, "Oh yeah, there's a Peacemaker spinoff." And he's like, "Well, I guess he's surviving the movie." And I was like, "Not so fast." <laughs> <laughs> we don't know yet. Actually, my money is on Peacemaker dying because they have been very open with the fact that his character is like an utter douchebag in the movie. <laughs> <clears throat> as uh, what's his name, uh, John Cena described him as douchey Captain America. A douchey Captain America. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Also, have you heard <laughs> nothing to do with this show? <laughs> have you heard John Cena's empanada story? No. About filming Suicide Squad? He said there was this really intricate shot they were filming where they were all together standing on a rooftop eating. And it was this pan around of all of them. And he said that he was he had an empanada in his hand. And he thought for the shot it would be funny if he ate the whole thing in one bite. And just like, ha, you know, like That'd be really funny if I did that. So he did it the first take. And they're like, okay, set up. Got, got to go again. Like he said, it was a really complicated shot. And so because of that, um, every little thing had to be perfect. And obviously when you're doing that, nothing is ever perfect. On every, on every. <laughs> so he said that they had to end up doing it about like, I think he said, oh Christ, I want to get the number right. Because it was hilarious. Um, and, uh, <laughs> that comes up immediately. 31. Oh yeah, 31 God. takes. And he said that he, uh, each time, ate a whole empanada. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And he said, James Gunn was like, oh, man, I had no idea. Like, I can't believe that you did that. There's actually a picture of him on set, sadly staring at his empanada. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably, like, take 20. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. And, uh, yeah, he, he said that had, he said that as soon as the 31st take ended, he ran out and went to the bathroom. <laughs> and he said that had there been 32 takes, he would have had a problem on set. <laughs> it all would have come back. <laughs> That's a pretty good story. And Mark Valley just killed that guy. He did. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Back to human target. <laughs> the more, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's just it's weird and... The most interesting thing about this show is what's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's fine. Like, there's nothing specifically wrong with it. It's a it's a decent enough TV action series. But what makes the character unique and interesting isn't in the show. No, no. And granted, I haven't finished the entire first season yet. Um, and he, like you said... It ends on a cliffhanger, so have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> again! Again! <laughs> Try to hunt season two down. Um, like, again, Mark Valley does a good job playing what he's playing, but it is more James Bond, yeah. Jason Bourne-esque. It's like, it's like uh, doing a Batman adaptation about a billionaire who wants to fight crime, but not giving him the costume. Or the bat gimmick or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know? It's like Bruce Wayne. He's a billionaire who just beats up hobos. You know? 
<laughs> and because he's ridiculously rich, he yeah. gets away with it. <laughs> or Superman, but he's not an alien, you know? <laughs> or the X-Men, but they don't have superpowers. It's like it's like the one thing that's interesting about him, they don't give him in the show. So it just it loses anything that makes it really interesting. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad show, because it's fine for what it is. It's just not not uh, what what human target is. Well... On that note, I think to bring up my my favorite hateful obsession, um, like you said, there's this does not coincide. Are we talking about Lucifer? <laughs> How did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about that when you said that when you know he's the only character from the comic books. Yeah. All this other stuff is made up, and it kind of takes away what makes uh, Christopher Chance unique. Um, and you could argue that all of that aside, this still works as a dumb, fun action yeah. show. Yeah, because um, it does. It definitely works. the The show has has a um, the show has a, a charismatic lead and a decent cast, which gets expanded in the second season. Um, he gets a, like a benefactor who just pays for his shit. Nice. <laughs> like who she, I can't remember who plays her, but she joins the cast. And then he also gets like a kind of like a romantic foil kind of as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's a it definitely works. It's just not not the comic, not human target. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but again, I would I would counter that at least it works on like we we're saying at least it works on it works on a level. Yeah. Um, Lucifer, which we will someday get into, and there will be drinking for that episode. Um, my problem with that is that it doesn't even work as a police procedural, yeah. which is what it's based on. This at least works on an action level. Yeah. I guess, so, my, my thing about Lucifer, like, for some reason I just can't hate that show. And I think the reason is the whole core concept. The core concept is still the same as the comic. It's still Lucifer abandoning his post in hell, coming to Earth and, and running a, a fucking piano bar, and then getting like caught up in, in other adventures. Granted, the show makes it way cheaper and way scaled down, so he's just fucking solving crimes <laughs> in, in L.A. Um, so that's dumb. <laughs> and, and it makes for an objectively bad series. But at least, like, the core is still there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's probably, like, a like a legal thing. Like, if it's going to be called Lucifer and it's going to be based on the comic, you have to have at least that much of it. True. Because it could have just been a show about the devil solving crimes without any ties to the DC property. Honestly, <clears throat> I would have preferred that. Yeah, that probably would have worked better. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird... The process of adapting something is inherently weird. And difficult, you know. True. <laughs> it's very true. Everyone from from the from the most vocal fans to the most casual people who have nothing to do with or have no idea about adaptation, everyone has ideas about how things should be adapted, and everyone thinks that they're right and that that I could do it better. But it's really fucking hard to do, especially when you're adapting something into a medium like with you know moving pictures. Exactly. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you're dealing with contracts actors, um, filming locations, budgets. When you adapt like a comic to a novel or vice versa, that's really easy because you can still do like fucking whatever. Put what was in there in that and, and you can make it work. But, uh, but when, when you're dealing with, with something that has so many moving parts, 
it's really a, a, a miracle that anything ever gets adapted well. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of factors. Yeah. From the very first like adaptation of uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea up till today, it's really a miracle that we've gotten anything good. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Indeed. And I am, like you said, it, it's, there's no one exact formula for why some work and some don't, except that it seems like the ones that do work have someone at the helm who's like, who believes yeah. in the project, who knows what its core essence is. And, you know, just because I have a problem with Lucifer, obviously the rest of the nation does not. It's an yeah, extremely it, popular show. It's tapped into something. I think it's that, like, like, uh, I think it's that, like, safe danger you know right I mean? like it's it's a show called lucifer it's about the devil Ooh. oh my goodness uh, <laughs> and, and get like i'm blushing just thinking about it but at the same time it's so fucking sterile and and i haven't seen the netflix seasons yet i've heard that that like that there's like swearing and nudity in it but even still like the core of the show is so sterile and um what's the word um, safe and tame. Like I've, I've got an eight year old daughter. I don't think I'd have a problem with her watching the first season, you know, right? <laughs> there's True, nothing in it. There's nothing in it. That's that, that, uh, weird or, or dangerous or whatever. But since it's called Lucifer and since it's, Ooh, this guy came from hell. Oh my goodness. Then like housewives in the Midwest can think that they're, uh, they're, they're being, um, what's the word? Risque. Yeah, exactly. Like, like they they're gonna put down their copies of uh, of Fifty Shades of Grey and pop on Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty much, pretty much. Because yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely struck a nerve. It it as soon as it got canceled by Fox, it was immediately snatched up by Netflix, so it could finish its run. And it's still running. Yeah, it's still I, going. I think the, they actually they had like a big contract dispute because the show was supposed to end. I think with season. I, don't quote me because I can't remember. Either, either season five or six, it was going to end. And that's what they planned. And then as they were filming it, Netflix was like, please come back for one more season, please. <laughs> and so they had to like renegotiate Tom Ellis's contract. And it was like this big drawn out thing where he was like, fucking fine, I'll do one more. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was all Netflix, like basically begging them to come back for one more round. <laughs> to which I say, good on you, Tom Ellis. Yeah, Make exactly. that Lucifer money. Like, do the thing. And again, he was in, he was, play, he played the role in Crisis on Infinite Earths now. He's officially part of the DC, uh, the Arrowverse canon. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you've seen nothing else from Lucifer, watch that scene, because it's fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun to see Lucifer put into a world of superheroes. And, like, it's a brief scene of him talking to John Constantine. Did I tell you about, like, when they filmed that, what they did? It was literally just like, like, uh, they didn't have a script or anything. They were just like, we, we got to get this information from Lucifer. Um, they ran to the set of Lucifer and with like a spare crew and Matt Ryan and the other actors and basically just like Matt Ryan and Tom Ellis were like, okay, here's what we'll do. You say this, I'll say that. And they just like went back and forth and worked the scene out together, (laughs) which is probably why it flows so fucking well. (laughs) Probably. There you go. Came together well. It also designated in the multiverse, it designated the Earth that Lucifer takes place on as Earth 666. Oh, just in case there was any confusion. Yeah. 
Well, because every Earth has its number. True, yeah. Like, in, in, in the comics. But on the show, the Earth's numbers are all references somehow. Like, the Batman from... Uh, the Michael Keaton Batman takes place on Earth 89. Oh. That's when Batman 89 came out. Yeah. Um, I think... Fuck, I think Birds of Prey, the TV series, is Earth 203, I think. Oh. 2003. I, I, I can't remember exactly. But yeah, Lucifer's Earth 666. Uh, there was Stargirl is Earth 2, because that's mostly JSA characters, and they were originally introduced as Earth 2. There's a couple others I can't remember. But it's all, yeah, it's all references. <laughs> it's all cataloged. Oh, uh, Brandon Routh, Superman of Superman Returns, is Earth 96. Because in Crisis... His version of Superman is inspired by Kingdom Come, which was released in 1996. Oh, all right then. I thought that was just a good place to package that. Yeah. Okay. And seeing him as the Kingdom Come Superman is like one of the high, one one of the comic book media highlights for me in my life. Just seeing that Superman because my favorite comic book Superman and my favorite movie Superman combined. Together. Yes. Fucking love that. <laughs> it did it for you. Anyway, human target. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the show. Again, it's just it's just a dumb there's nothing to say, man. I've exhausted everything I could say about this show because the comic book is so different and so good, and the show is so this. It's just it's fine. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It is. It is fine. It is um it is not amazing and it is not bad. Uh Good performances. The cast is good. Yeah. It's got some good action pieces. There's a nice cameo by um, uh, Danny Glover coming up here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, it has some good guest stars, too. Like Sam Huntington is in an episode later. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking about The Flash. <laughs> he, has a, <laughs> he has a whole monologue about The Flash. Did you watch that episode yet? Yes, in the monastery. Yeah, yeah. And he's teaching the, um, what is it, the alternative gospel or yeah, something, yeah. where he's with the monks in the library telling them about... Crisis on the Infinite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this show is part of the crisis now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it all ties in. Yeah, so would you say this is... Where does this rate for you? Well, it's not over yet. Hold on. <laughs> we'll get there. I'm rushing to the finish line. <laughs> Burn like jet fuel. Wait for it, wait for it. Yeah, he does... There is this kind of nice moment where at the beginning of the show he gets paid in this really expensive Japanese whiskey... And then uses it to make a Molotov cocktail at the end of the show. Um, I wonder, I can't remember if they credit creators back then. Nowadays, like, every comic adaptation has, like, a whole page of character creators. I don't think they do in this. Wonder Woman, created by William Marston. Yeah. Um, I want to say they don't. Because when you look it up on Wikipedia, they just have, you know... Created by, what's his name? We said his name, the executive producer. Oh, it did. It just showed it. Oh, it did? Okay. Len oh. Wein and Carmine Infantino. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that's Human Target. I would call it, now, now that we've come to the appropriate part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> I would call it, I call it a Verta Slow. It's like right in the middle. It's not not terrible, but not, I, I, I realize I do that a lot. I don't know that we've done any Verta Stops yet haven't well i mean with the movies but that doesn't count i do we did we do any verta stops with the movies i don't remember 
Jonah Hex. Oh yeah, that was the big furnace. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, it's the one glistening beacon of shit in yeah. these adaptations. That's a huge stop. That poor film. <laughs> I just—it's one of those. It's like it's so bad that I just feel sorry for it. You know, like every aspect of that movie just came crumbling apart. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then tell us how much you agree with us or you disagree. Nobody is standing up for Jonah Hex. <laughs> I hope not. There's not a single goddamn person that's like, fuck you, that movie's the best. Maybe if you're like nine years old and I, you have no context. I want to look it up on Letterboxd real quick. Because I want to see what the breakdown for the ratings is on it. You can see how many people give it one star and five stars and all that. Oh, do tell. I just I would like to see out of the thousands of people that have rated that movie, how many have given it one star. Five stars, rather. So it's got a 1.7 average out of five. Ouch. It has, fuck, I hate the way they do this, 220,000 votes. Okay. 45 of those (laughs) are five stars. Wow. That's less than a percent. That's that's less than half a percent. Huh. And you want to, like, those 45, you're like, really? Like, really? Really, really? That's uh, 31,000 people gave it one star. No, oh, sorry, 3,000. 3.1,000. One, oh, shit, never mind. I read this totally wrong. No, I didn't. Sorry. I, I just saw that 1.7 and I was like, oh, that's how many thousand. That's the score. Oh, okay. idiot. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah, like, so it's got 2.4 thousand at two stars. 2.4 thousand at. Again, okay, one point eight thousand at one point two stars. So yeah, I it's really low. There are forty five people in the world that think that's a perfect movie. If you are one of those forty five, go listen to our Jonah Hex episode and then tell us how wrong we are because I'm really curious as to what your defense is. If you are one of those forty five people, how do you not accidentally kill yourself every morning when you get out of bed? (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that just the simplest tasks are an immense struggle for you. You're making toast in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, I, that's. I don't. I don't even understand how you function, because <laughs> clearly uh, nothing. Nothing works if you're seeing that film and saying five stars. Your 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 the way that you interact with the world is fundamentally flawed. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the only way I could think is if someone really loves it is. I, I recall back to a babysitting job I had where when I showed up, the little nine-year-old was watching the 2006 Catwoman, and she loved it. But she, I realized the poor child had no frame of reference yeah. for Catwoman or anything else, so I was like, oh, you poor thing. Well, like I've said, you know, kids are dumb. You watch a, <laughs> you watch a movie like that, and it's, it's a superhero on screen, and it's accurately, like, you're not thinking about it, you're just watching it. Exactly. Exactly. And God knows I did that plenty of times when I was a kid too. But well, me too. So those forty-five must be nine-year-olds. <laughs> nine-year-olds who have that app. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Sure. <laughs> you can go read their review for Patton. And <laughs> I prefer just to think that there's just forty, either forty-five people that are like passionate about that movie. You know, <laughs> yeah. Jonah Hex is a brilliant work of filmmaking. <laughs> I don't care who hears me. It's like some snobby elitist. 30 years from now, people will look back. It was really ahead of its time. This fucking ghost western 
80 minute long film was cobbled together through multiple drafts that don't fucking work together. You know, that's, it's, you know, time's going to tell because it's going <laughs> to, it's going to be looked back as a modern class, a misunderstood masterpiece. <laughs> Just wait. It's like Just Batman wait. versus Superman. I've, I've heard that phrase thrown around for Batman versus, it's a misunderstood masterpiece. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. No, it's not. Oh, while we're on that subject, okay. Oh, no. Yes, no. yes, yes, yes. I'm going to get y'all riled up here. I was discussing um, uh, Snyder Cut with someone, and they actually said it doesn't matter whether his movies are good or bad. It matters whether he gets to finish his original vision. Oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> I, I actually I had this conversation just the other day with one of my friends because we were we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about the movie Bird Demic. Yes. You seen that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and my friend was like, was like, you know, that movie sucks and it's terrible, but I also respect the director for sticking to his vision and making what he wanted his way. And I said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, here, here, here's what's wrong with that. Filmmaking isn't singular. A director directs. A director isn't the one who does everything. Filmmaking is a collaborative process. If you're not listening to the people that you're working with, then that's your fucking fault. <laughs> right. Filmmaking has to be give and take. You have to listen to other people's input and integrate that into what you're doing. No one person makes anything. And especially in a film. There are, there, there's 15 minutes of credits after Batman versus Superman, after Justice League, whatever, that list every single person who had a hand in making that. Their thoughts and input is just as valid as the director's. Right. Especially the actors, too. The actors are, are putting their input in as well. The screenwriters, the producers. And to say that, like, it's one singular vision, it's fucking not. And if it is, it shouldn't be. Singular vision is what destroys movies. It's not what makes them good. Exactly. And a, a good director will integrate other voices and other vision into his own and make, make what he is creating better with those around him, not, not in spite of their voices. Very well said. And by that logic, too, if you say, well, it doesn't matter whether his movies are good or bad, it's like, well, okay, let's give the Justice League to Uwe Boll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, but Uwe. Oh, Uwe, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> but, <laughs> he would fight me for that. Yeah, he probably would. <laughs> but but that, like, I hate that, that concept of like the singular auteur. Like, no, everyone that you think of as being like a singular voice in filmmaking is not. They have a team of people helping them. George Lucas, well, you know, he did the prequels the way he wanted. Doesn't matter if they're good or bad. He did them the way he wanted. No, he fucking didn't. I, I, I've actually, I heard a story about, uh, from this Australian dude who worked on episode two. He said that there was a huge subplot in that movie about Jar Jar Binks learning how to speak well. Like, he was on the set while they were filming this. Oh, wow. And it was all about, like, oh, Jar Jar is going to be in the Senate, so he's got to learn how to talk good. And uh, he said that, like, this is like George Lucas, like, oh, we're going to have this dream. This is going to be really good. And the producer's like, fuck that. Like, no, don't do that, you idiot. <laughs> Cut that out. Less Jar Jar. <laughs> stop, stop. Like, so even somebody like George Lucas, who everyone thinks is this, uh, you know, singular storyteller, like, no, he has people telling him no, too. Granted, there are not as many for him, and he, he wins probably more battles than he loses, but that still happens. Right, exactly. And, and if you're not working with the people around you, then you're not doing it right. 
It's not a collaborative effort. Yeah, and and and, and by that rationale, if Zack Snyder has a singular vision and he gets to finish it, like he's not a director, then he's a fucking dictator. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think all of us can say any creative person who sees their vision to the end, like not to put myself on that level at all, but I've written shit that I know is horrible shit. Yeah. You know. But anyway. Uh, no, I, I need. I need. There's one last thing I need to bring up about that then, because I'm now you got you got me riled up. You fucking you opened the gates. Now you can't close them. Okay. <laughs> there's one last thing I need to add on here, and this is a perfect example of what I'm ex- talking about. Have you seen the movie Into the Spider Verse? Yes. Okay. Yes. Buy the Blu-ray, because the Blu-ray has two cuts of the movie. It's got the like the finished version that we saw in the in the movie and then uh, in the theaters and then it's got what they call the alternate universe cut, and it's a completely different version of the movie that's unfinished. Most of the scenes are rough animation or narration over storyboards. Okay. And it's it's a really good way to see how an artist's vision evolves over time. The original cut of that movie is not very good. Mm. It's fine. But it spends way too much time on the origin. It spends way too much time with Peter hanging out with his best friend. Or not Peter. Miles hanging out with his best friend. And it's, it doesn't flow at all. And then you look at the final version of the movie, which is a goddamn masterpiece. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's a clear articulation of what I just said. about A filmmaker has to listen to the voices that are around him and deciding what to take in and what not to. Because, I mean, the collaboration moves both ways. A director should stick to his guns on certain things and not on others. Watching both versions of that movie, it's so clear to me that the directors listened to outside influences, stuck with what worked, and cut away what didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want a fucking Snyder Cut, do it like that. Show the unfinished version of the movie and uh, next to the finished version. And granted, the finished version of Justice League was no fucking peach. Like... <laughs> It had, there were problems. <laughs> it had plenty of issues on its own. Like it just doesn't doesn't work as a movie that well on its own. But I don't think a four hour version of that is going to be any better. No. Well, there's questions I want to ask you about that when we're done here. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I so I would highly suggest watching both versions of Spider Verse, just so you can see the the evolution of storytelling. Stories need to evolve. I, there's an old saying from when I was in film school: when you make a movie, you're actually making three movies. There's the movie you write, the movie you film, the movie you edit. If all three of those look the same, you're doing something wrong. Okay. Well, that's good. I think that's a good creative process to hold by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, yeah. Well, we'll have to delve into that more when we actually fucking watch the Snyder Cut. <laughs> that's coming too. <laughs> Aren't you all excited? Um, so yeah, Human Target. <laughs> yeah, Human Target. We're going to slow. It's fine. We're it's- slow. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of compromises while they made it. I'm sure there was, the creative process was very rich and (laughs) there was a lot of give and take. Tie it it all together. (laughs) Discussion behind the scenes. Yes. But again, like like I said before, I feel like just the fact that the core concept was changed so much for this that it's not what it should be. But I don't know how to adapt that character any other way. We spent the fucking episode talking about it, but uh, <laughs> let me see. I when I wrote about Human Target, I talk about. I, I'm just gonna quote myself here, like a fucking douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I talk about the fact, you know, like the 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 character. You can't have a lead actor who's not the lead of a show, and so that that is a problem that's exclusive to adaptation. In the comic, when things like body language and tone of voice aren't factors, it's much easier to accept Chance as the man behind the deeds you're reading. 
that was seemingly corrected in the second era of the television series, blah, 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 the lead. Take away the mimicry and disguises, he's just another generic action hero. It seems like Arrow may have solved the problem by making him a reoccurring supporting character. That way, he's not the focus of the plot, and the reveal of his face following a caper elicits feelings of excitement rather than thoughts of, finally! <laughs> Whenever Chance shows up again in the Arrowverse is anyone's guess, but seeing as to how useful he can be in the proper setting, it seems wasteful not to give him a few more appearances. It's an elegant way of keeping his name slightly in the spotlight without going too far into it. And I'm sure that's just how Chance would want it. Well said. I, uh, I, I don't know how to adapt this character well, other than just having him be a side character. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's, it's challenging, and I, especially in a television series where, depending on who you get to guest star, that can get really expensive and sure. unreliable. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but the comic's great. Read the comic. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to read the comic now. Gotta do the end of the show stuff. Da-na-na-na-na, do an end of the show. That's our new theme song for the end of the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like and subscribe on any podcast apps that you use. Be sure to give us five stars, write a review. Um, got some good reviews so far, and I'd like to read more. Um, follow us on Twitter at Vertigo Voices, Instagram Vertigo Voices, email vertigovoices at gmail.com. Um, and that's it. Here you go. And we're done. We're done with everything. We need a sign-off tagline. That's what we need. Like, Verta, we're Verta going for it. We're fucking Verta go for the gold. Thundercats go. No. Um. Wrong fucking thing. I knew you'd love that one. Anyway. Verta, we're Verta, Verta getting good. Verta getting going. Verta fucking. Verta going, going, gone. Yeah. Join us next time. What are we doing next time? Um, it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's planned. It's a planned surprise um, that you're all going to just flip out when you hear about it. So, so exciting. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I have no idea. All right, well, I'll see y'all later. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>